We're going to start this episode with a pound the table segment. Derek, who you pounded the table for? Matt Ryan. A- any opportunity I can get to pound the table for Matt Ryan, I'm going to do it. It's a two-parter, really. One, I've always loved Matt Ryan, like generally. Uh, you know, obviously he had the peak MVP season in 2016 or whatever. But he's always been really good since then. I think people kind of forgot how good he's been since then. But then also, I just love Frank Reich. So pairing those two together, it's pretty hard hard to miss uh, combo for me. I love it. I love it. I love his addition to the Colts. We've been Matt Ryan friendly on this podcast, so we could definitely get into that. And this is an AFC South episode, so very apropos. Uh, but before we get too far to that, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the Most Accurate Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Niles. With me is my excellent co-host, Chris Allen. Chris, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I just got back, like we were talking before the show. We, I was out in Jamaica on vacation this past week, so I'm refreshed. I'm ready to get back into the swing of things. We've got training camp opening, so it just feels like summer's over, and it's ready to dive back into the NFL season. But I'm really excited to get a chance to sit down and talk with Derek. Like we were talking beforehand, been a huge fan of his work for a number of years now. Uh, and then if there's anything from fantasy football or just football in general, uh, let me take a step back and say like from football to uh, he got me interested into not I was already interested in the League of Legends, but he got me hyped to uh, LEC, which is like the European league. And actually, uh, Derek, I was watching that G2 game, that backdoor in that G2 game this past weekend. Dude. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Absolutely insane. But it's just like, it's just stuff like that, like being able to connect with folks like outside of football and these like, you know, the ridiculous hobbies that we have outside of breaking our brains, like uh, across like the NFL, like throughout the year. It's so cool to get a chance to talk to you. So, but Derek, how are you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing good. I actually just got back from, I mean, speaking of stupid, you know, interests, I actually just got back from a K-pop concert in uh, San Francisco. I saw G-Idol. Very fun show. They they were perfect live. It was really nice. good. Um, but yeah, other than that, doing good. Excellent, excellent. Uh, as uh, Chris alluded to, and as you probably figured out, we have uh, Derek Klassen on the show today. Uh, it's psyched to have you on, Derek. Please follow t- Derek on Twitter at QB Class. That's Class with a K. Check out all his stuff at Football Outsiders. You can find his stuff on Bleacher Report. He's fantastic. Uh, Derek, we're going to talk AFC South, but I don't get to ask this question very much uh, to our guests. So I just want to ask, since I know you, you're a K-pop guy, um, I, I like Chung Ha a lot, and I love her Let's new go. album. Are, are, <laughs> do, you, do you like this album? I feel like she's the she's the uh, the AFC South of K-pop. I liked the album. I thought the title, Sparkling, is pretty good. And then um, one of the ballads, uh, Good Night, My Prince, um, one of my, I think, favorite ballads of the entire year, actually. Um, me and a couple of my friends do, like, this stupid, like, personal voting thing that we do. Um, and that's going to be, like, on my short list for sure. Like, that that one is, is really, really good. I agree. It's really, really good. I've been digesting it for the past couple of weeks, and I think it's it's fun and it's and it's like clever and smart, and I really like it. And like I said, I kind of think she's the AFC AFC South of it. You know, she's got the hair, so Trevor Lawrence, she's got that. <laughs> she's from Texas, I think. Right? Oh, and it's really? like I think so. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like a Renaissance division. You got power running, and you got mm. prolific passing. In theory, veteran coaches. You got new coaches, and I I feel like she's such a Renaissance acting and all that. So I I thought she was a perfect example for the AFC South. It so. is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, if you want to uh, draft some people in the AFC South and get in on some best ball action, action listeners, uh, go out to Underdog. We have a great promo. Underdog Fantasy. You deposit ten dollars in a new underdog account and you get a deposit bonus match plus a four for four pro subscription just enter four for four that's four f-o-r four in the promo code box uh, as i mentioned we're going to talk afc south today uh derek is a fantastic quarterback guru and we've got young quarterbacks to talk about emerging quarterbacks new quarterbacks in this division should be a lot of fun to discuss uh i'm chris i'm gonna let you lead us off where do you want to go first uh, let's start down in jacksonville because i think everybody wants to know about what can we expect from last year's uh, like first, like number one overall pick, like in, well, not last year, two years ago, obviously, but uh, in, in Trevor Lawrence? I mean, by all metrics, I mean, if you want to look at uh, CPOE, you want to look at EPA per play, I mean, QBR, I mean, Trevor Lawrence was like that, like bottom five, almost across the board, like for, for most of the quarterbacks like last year. And I, I guess we can probably explain, like you can probably just put Urban Meyer as the like the reason for like most of that. 
but it's just I've seen some of your threads like Derek on just how unserious that offense was like last year with like what wide receivers essentially running the same routes, like almost a yard spacing between the like between a couple of them. It's just it was so bad. But what what can we reasonably expect like from Trevor Lawrence in year two under Doug Peterson? Because I think from a fantasy perspective, I think on our website, like four for four, John Paulson's projections have him ranked as like the quarterback 21. And I know a lot of folks are at least looking for him to take that leap, maybe flirt with like top 12 rankings from a fantasy perspective. But I guess what can we reasonably expect for Trevor Lawrence, like under Doug Peterson here in year two? I think top 12 would be a little generous, not really because of anything that I think about him, just like it's probably going to take a year or two for this offense to like fully restock the way that it needs to. Um, But like you said, like last year, I'm pretty okay with just throwing last year away. Like, Urban Meyer was a complete clown show of a coach. I mean, literally probably the worst head coach run that I've seen in my entire life as a football watcher, at least in in, in the NFL. Um, Because like you said, like just the players running into each other on routes and stuff, just people not really understanding where they need to be. Um, There were just a bunch of like player coach, you know, uh, relationship stuff that seemed really bad. It just did not seem like a very serious football program. And I feel very confident that every other rookie quarterback would have been even worse. Um, so I really don't put it against Trevor because I really think like even for as good as Mac Jones was in New England, if we swapped it to, I we're already talking about Trevor as a top 10 quarterback. I agree. Like I really, yeah, like I really think he's that good. Um, and I think the pairing with Doug Peterson is really good because I think Peterson is going to actually give the Jaguars an NFL offense because last year it just seemed like they had so many discombobulated ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think Peterson was a really good coach in Philly. And I think part of why he was good was he did a lot of the RPO stuff. Um, And I don't think they'll do it as heavily as they did with Carson Wentz. But I think because Trevor was so comfortable with it at Clemson, and he has a really quick release, actually, for a guy who's so, like, long-levered. It's actually really impressive. Um, I think they're going to start to utilize that a little bit more and and be more effective that way. Might be a bump for Chenault if if anyone actually still cares about him. (laughs) I'm not sure I do, but (laughs) um, it could happen. Um, But I think, like, probably in terms of fantasy, I mean, maybe in that, like, mid-teens range is probably more what I would say. And then I think as, like, an actual player, he might even be a little bit better than that. It's just, like I said, the production might not quite be there yet because I think they probably still have a little bit of work to do in terms of adding talent. No, and that absolutely makes sense because if we look at just the when like Peterson was in his heyday with Carson Wentz what was like the 2017 year, like when they won the Super Bowl. I mean, they were, I think, like top five, if I'm remembering, like in play action rate and being able to get Trevor Lawrence like moving out of the pocket and like actually like out on the run and being able to get like you like you mentioned, like if we can get LaVishka Chenault involved. And I guess, of course, now with their prize jewel, at least from a financial aspect, like with Christian Kirk, it's like. <laughs> Now I can see some of those like key pieces coming together because like you mentioned, I mean, with everything that was going wrong around him, we at least saw like Trevor Lawrence, like being, I want to say like ag- aggressive from that standpoint, I think like uh, from an intended air yard standpoint, like he was like top 10 in the entire league. So he was trying to push the ball like downfield, like despite the fact that his pass catchers weren't actually completing the passes, but at least he knows like how to operate. Like once he gets into those types of situations, so I can see it. And even like his, uh, if I'm remembering correctly from like Sports Info Solutions, his on uncatchable like targets, like they were comparable with Tom Brady's. So it's like, I believe it. The, the, <laughs> I believe so like, it. it. It's all there. It's just like they need the players on the other end to actually like execute. And I think Doug Peterson gives them from a schematic standpoint, the ability to do it. And I think like for all the hate that we give like Christian Kirk, like for just for the contract, I think Christian Kirk, the player is capable of doing like what he needs to. So it's just, I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm kind of torn. I do think that I do think you're right in saying that like high teens, like mid to high teens. I think like that's reasonable, like for, for what we expect. And it's just more of a long-term, like long-term uh, like bet that we're making on Trevor Lawrence, which I know everybody, the expectation was they would do it like right at the gate. It's just that now that's been stunted because, of, because of urban Meyer, but I guess Switching from just like the quarterback aspect to now the wide receiver, since we mentioned Christian Kirk and like Marvin Jones is still kicking around. I mean, who are like some of those receiver, like the winners, like from from that standpoint? Because if I remember correctly, it's been mostly like two wide receiver sets. Like he doesn't really like the Peterson offense, like hasn't featured like three wide receiver sets, like traditionally. So it's like, is it going to be Christian Kirk since they paid him so much? Like, does he play Z while Marvin Jones like plays the X or like, how do you see that like schematically like shaping out? 
I think that's probably it. I think they're going to be a lot more uh, 11 personnel than they ever were in Philly. Um, I think they were just more comfortable with the personnel that they had at tight end in Philadelphia. Um, so I think that's that's part of it. And then when you look at what they have at tight end in Jacksonville, Evan Ingram is fine, but like he's not really going to do much for you as a blocker. So you don't really want to get into like 12 and, and lean into like being a heavier team. And then everyone they have behind him, I think is like not serious. Like I know Dan Arnold is like fun and athletic, but he can't catch the football. So it doesn't right. matter. <laughs> um, which actually to that point is actually why I like the Christian Kirk signing because a big part of the problem with the offense last year was they just didn't have anyone who was reliable over the middle of the field, whether that was like, catching the ball in traffic or just navigating through traffic. They just didn't have a guy who was good at doing that. Christian Kirk, like you said, overpaid, sure. But he's like a perfect fit for what they needed in this offense. And I think he'll be able to move around a little bit for him. And I, I really trust Doug Peterson to um, be able to actually, you know, make him a viable threat over the middle for Trevor, but also kind of manufacture some touches for him. Because I think Kirk is good with the ball in his hands. So I think Kirk is definitely going to be the focal point of the offense. And then they're going to kind of hinge everything else off of that. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. And looking at uh, and going back to your point about Evan Ingram and the offensive line, because what I think uh, John Shipley was saying for the first like rotational starters like on the offensive line was Cam Robinson, Shatley, Fortner, Scherf, and Jawan Taylor, which I think is okay. I think that's the middle of the road type of uh, type of offensive line. But it's just if you don't have that additional support of being able to pull your tight end like in line to help with pass but like with pass protection, then it's like is Evan Ingram kind of, I don't know, the odd man like left out? Because if they're already kind of paying deference to James Robinson, assuming he's healthy because Robinson is the better pass blocker, then it's just where are the snaps going to come for Evan Ingram? And that's kind of my concern is that if they're trying to, I guess, take as much weight off of Trevor Lawrence's shoulders, then they're going to want to protect him as much as possible. So it kind of limits what Ingram can do in that offense unless – I don't know, that offensive line just completely clicks and they don't have any problems because, I mean, even in Doug Peterson's offense, like Zach Ertz was still playing in line. Like Zach Ertz was still being asked to pass protect. Ingram can't do that. So if that's not the case, then I guess it just looks like the wide receivers and the running backs are the ones that we should be targeting from a fantasy, fantasy perspective. And I mean, Ingram just like, I don't know, maybe he might pop up for like a week or two, like or a few plays here and there. Honestly, I would not be surprised if they are just comfortable running with a lot of five-man protections or just using the back a lot in protection. You know, like James Robinson, like you said, he's really good at it. Um, and just kind of accepting that Ingram is not going to do that and they're going to put him on the field and just have him as like a, a kind of yak threat tight end. I honestly think that's perfectly fine because I don't know how many quarterbacks in the NFL have a better pocket presence than Trevor already. Like, it's like Tom Brady probably a couple of others, that might be it. Like he is already that good at managing the pocket, both in terms of like preempting where he knows rushers are supposed to be, where rush lanes are supposed to be, where like free pockets of space are supposed to be, as well as like when, you know, it hits the fan and he has to go and, and make a play. He's also really good at that. So I honestly like, this is more of like a long-term theme. I'm kind of fine with them just consistently having like average pass protection in favor of, really upscaling the the receiver talent because I think he's always going to be able to make good on whatever offensive line he has if you just give him super weapons you're, you can have like an unbelievable offense so I think at least with with respect to this group I think they'll probably just be perfectly fine with Evan Ingram just not blocking uh -huh. yeah and hopefully. there's and there's some upside on that offensive line right like Cam Robinson has underperformed the last couple of years and been hurt but you know coming now he's a couple of years removed from that injury he could come back and be a high level left tackle Juwan Taylor's still developing he had his own injury issues early in his career and they signed Brandon Scherf they paid him a bunch of money he's a Pro Bowl caliber guard so uh, I do think there's upside and I, I agree with you Derek I think we're going to see a lot of Evan Ingram in the slot and I think that's just the way they're going to run him and use him so I like him especially at, the, at his cost I, the last thing I would add, I would be really, 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 really interested to see if they use LaVisca Chanel as like, I mean, saying the Cooper Cup thing is like stupid for him because he's not that good, obviously, or even close mm -hmm. to it. But I would be really interested to see him like tighter to the formation and see if they could do some stuff with that. Because I think like if you watch him in college, they did that. He played in the backfield. He played like basically yep. H-back tight end. Like mm -hmm. he has experience doing this and he's a big guy, you know, for, for how tall he is. So. I would Which, be interested to see it. <laughs> I don't know. And it just, it always struck me as odd that 
Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer was never able to use him because like he was just fine doing like something similar with Curtis Samuel when Curtis Samuel was there at Ohio State. But it just like it just it never clicked. And I just I never got it either. Was it Urban Meyer thing, which I'm just 100 percent fine with just saying it's an mm-hmm. Urban Meyer yep. thing like versus saying like Chenault is bad at the game, which I don't think he is. I'm not completely out on him, but it's just when the like when Meyer was signed like to the Jaguars, I was like, oh, then, you know, we're going to see some cool like gadgety type of stuff like around the red zone, like for Chenault, it just it matches up and then it just never materialized. So hopefully this year is the year for him. I, I think LaVisca Chenault is a bad wide receiver. I think he's an okay football player. Yeah. I think um, and sense. Urban Meyer just like didn't, I don't know what it was. I almost wonder if he just like drafted Travis Etienne to like kind of do that stuff. And then when he got hurt, he was just like, throw it out. Don't care. I don't want to watch tape on somebody else. Like, yeah. Somebody else. Handle it. Yeah. So uh, speaking of Travis Etienne, Derek, so um, he's he's been fluctuating wildly in ADP. Like he's been fifth round, and then I've seen him go in the third. He's kind of settling in the fourth right now, um, especially with James Robinson seeming kind of positive. Uh, is the fourth round, is that the right spot to take Travis Etienne in fantasy leagues, um, you know, with all the question marks surrounding a new coaching staff and coming off the injury and all that? I think it's probably fine, mostly because I think what he might be able to do as a pass catcher, actually, Um, because kind of like I mentioned earlier with Trevor, like I think part of what he does so well with managing the pocket is he just knows when to like just get the ball, move on, get the ball out, move on to the next play, check it down, let somebody make a play. What is Travis Etienne great at? He's great at catching the ball on the check down and making a play. So I think that could actually be like a really good pairing. Um I, I was always a little bit lower on Etienne as a runner, but I think with some of the additions they made on the offensive line, it's probably going to be fine. And then I think just with some of Doug Peterson's RPO stuff, that kind of naturally is going to help boost your run game. So I think even if I don't like love the player as a runner, he's going to get enough opportunity and have like a good chance to be able to make good as a runner, plus all the stuff I think he can do as a pass catcher. So I think fourth round is, is probably pretty fair, yeah. I know I have. I'm sprinkling in uh, shares uh, of Travis Etienne right now. I'm, I'm interested. I'm very interested. Let's shift to the Titan, or I'm sorry, the Texans, where we have another uh, sophomore quarterback, kind of somebody who went a little under the radar last year uh, for having a pretty decent season for a rookie quarterback, right? Davis Mills comes in there. Uh, talking about quarterback progressions, because that's kind of your bread and butter, Derek, something you're really good at, uh, you know, following along how quarterbacks progress. What do you see from Davis Mills as like a realistic ceiling this year? Uh, I don't know if I have like a direct player comp necessarily, but like, I think he's like quarterback 27. I just think he's like a cool story because he went where he did and nobody expected him to play. Um, (laughs) and the Texans should feel good about that. You drafted like a capable starting quarterback in the third round for what you probably thought was a throwaway because you just needed a guy because you didn't know what was going to happen with Deshaun Watson. So like, overall, it's a win. It's just the weird thing about him is he's already good at the things that you would think a rookie has to get better at, right? Like he's already good um, kind of operating like simple dropback stuff. Uh, like he's pretty accurate in the one to 15 yard area. His timing is really good. He doesn't really make like egregious mistakes un- until stuff starts to break down. Like he already kind of has like a veteran ish sense about him. It's just, I don't know what he does that is supposed to have a ceiling in this league because I don't think he manages the pocket all that well. Once, you know, things start, once bullets start flying, um his arm is like fine uh (laughs) and he's like not really a rushing threat he's probably a better athlete than you realize but he's not gonna like you know chain like 50 yard carry or you know 50 yard runs or anything like that so i just think he's a guy who can do a really good job of like distributing in the one to 15 yard area especially if you can get him in gun and do drop back stuff Outside of that, I I don't know what he does. Um, I could be, you know, he could he could improve and do, you know, some more stuff that I don't know about. I mean, for example, in college, I thought he was horrific outside the pocket. And he was fine outside the pocket last year. Like he was kind of good. Some of his best plays were outside the pocket. Um, I just I don't know what else he's I kind of want to see more, I guess, is is all I'm saying. I like that good story, but uh but yeah. don't be too excited. <laughs> good story, but let's like temper what we're what we're talking about. Here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another thing impacting his, uh, you know, fantasy upside, at least, is, you know, Lovey Smith takes over as the head coach there. Uh, does Lovey Smith mean ground and pound? I don't know. Uh, honestly, I think it might just because naturally, I think a lot of these, especially older defensive coaches are going to 
kind of lean that way. Um, what I would say on the other end, this might not necessarily help for fantasy, but just in terms of like his development as a player, they still kept Pep Hamilton in the building. He's a very, very, very good quarterback coach, developer, guru, whatever you want to call it. He's really, really good at that. So I think he's going to consistently do a good job of like keeping Mills in those you know, opportunities where he can be kept clean and can just get the ball out really quickly. I think they're going to do a good job of facilitating the offense that way. Um, so I don't know if Lovey Smith necessarily means ground and pound, but I at least, you know, feel good about the OC situation. I guess the thing I would say about ground and pound is just, I really don't think they have the offensive line to do it. So I think they're going to yes. realize that they just can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They brought in uh Kenyon green in the draft, but outside of that, yeah, definitely. Outside of that, marks. it's yeah. <laughs> They Definitely can't play the marks. 2021 Chargers uh, defense uh, no, all the time. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. not gonna with uh, what Kenneth Murray was playing outside linebacker that game. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, had him in hell. <laughs> uh, so you know, if they are going to run the ball, however, uh, ineffectively, uh, all those running backs are pretty cheap if you're looking at them from a fantasy perspective. Uh, Rex Burkhead, who led the way last year, uh, you can get him late. Damian Pierce, you have to pay a little more for, but you can still get him late. The rookie, uh, who's supposed to be a little bit more of a scat back. I think. And then Marlon Mack comes over there and he's getting the early training camp reviews. I always love training camp reviews. They're always everyone's the healthiest they've been in years. Mm -hmm. Everyone is wowing coaches. Uh, which one of these would you expect to have any value or are you staying away completely? I would probably stay away completely just because like I mentioned the offensive line I just don't I just don't think they have it. If I had to pick one I might pick Pierce just because I think generally when you have a bad offensive line the bigger, stronger back is just going to be better at like getting, getting whatever is blocked for him, like whatever little that is um, and not like dancing around and doing stupid stuff behind the, behind the line of scrimmage. Like, and I think at some point they'll realize that he's probably the be guy best suited for that because Marlon Mack likes to dance around a lot. And I think Rex Burkhead kind of likes to dance around a lot and, and bounce some stuff. So I think at some point they're going to realize like Pierce is just, we can only block three yards and we know that Pierce can get three yards. So we're just going to hand it over to him. <laughs> I, I like that. I also, you know, he, he's got pass catching chops too. Mm -hmm. So I, I, there's definitely the upside there with Pierce, something that Marlon Mack never really did in Indianapolis uh, with any kind of consistency. Uh, the only uh, real fantasy threat in Houston is Brandon cooks. I think um, as far as someone being drafted with any kind of capital, uh, should we expect more of the same for Brandon cooks? Any kind of uptick? Uh, should we expect any kind of downside with Lovey Smith and with the other things that we've talked about? I don't know how much more upside, but I wouldn't expect downside either. I think, you know, he's very clearly the, the best guy that they have. And truthfully, like Davis Mills, I still don't think he's a good deep passer, but he was a little bit better than I thought he was going to be. And if Pep Hamilton can get him to take another incremental step in that direction, I think that could really help Brandon Cook. So I think it's still probably fine, even if they do go to more of like a ground and pound approach. Typically, at least, well, I don't know about for fantasy, but at least like in, in like actual football, the the most beneficial, the guys who benefit the most from that ground and pound style are typically the deep threats. Because when everyone is, is, you know, going into the box to defend the run, you're going to have this guy who's just running free uh, behind everybody. And I think that's that's definitely what Brandon Cooks is good at. So um, maybe you can get a little bit excited for the, you know, if, if Davis Mills can take a jump and, and do that. So I would say there's potential for upside and I, I don't think there's that much downside. So I, I'd be pretty in on Brandon cooks. Good value. Yeah. I like it. He's one of my plus Oregon state guy, which makes me happy because that's my hometown. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, Chris, I want to ask you real quick. Obviously, um, you know, we wish nothing but the best for John Mechie. Sad mm -hmm. news, uh, you know, struggling with leukemia. He's probably going to miss the season and I just hope he gets healthy. Uh, any of those other options out there, Chris, uh, Nico Collins, any of those guys interesting to you? Uh, Collins is interesting. I think he actually started to show like a, I mean, just the smidges of flashes like towards the back end of last season. I think from like just the way he's going to be deployed, it looked like they were going to try and like push it like more towards the slot, which I think makes some sense. So I think that if they're going to continue to do that, you've got Brandon Cooks, reliable X receiver on the outside, push him like towards the, closer to the line. Uh, and then I think that could be at least profitable, like especially given where he's going in drafts right now. You can get him on underdog. 15th 16th 17th round like i think he's had a yeah, slight bump free. yeah just because of the mechi news like he gets now pushed like more towards the front just because he was a later round target that people were looking for anyway so i think overall i think he is probably a guy he's fine but like derek was saying i mean if this is going to be more of a let's say 
compressed, condensed, capped, whatever type of adjective you want to describe to the offense just based off of Davis Mills' capability or like limited capability, then sure, you can take your shots, but it's not somebody I'm just going to, you know, run out to run out to every draft and try and get just absolutely every single share of. But I did want to ask you quick, uh, quickly about, about Mechie, Derek. I mean, let's say, so this year is obviously a wash like for Mechie. 2023, let's say he gets a clean bill of health. He's another year removed from uh, the ACL injury. Um, like, what what are your expectations like for Mechie like in 2023? Like, assuming this all happens, because everything that I've heard, at least that I've read, I mean, Saban raving about this kid. Uh, even though he does fall down, I'm assuming because of the injury, but past like most of the other like wide receivers, like in a wide receiver heavy class. Does I mean, do the Texans like do you think they hit on another possible offensive weapon for them? My estimation of Mechie is that he's going to be like a career reliable number three. Um, I think he can be fairly good because he's like he crosses the threshold for a lot of things. Like he's fast enough, he's big enough, his hands are pretty good. That's actually probably I think his uh best trait when I was watching him. Um, his feel for like getting you know in and out of zones is pretty good. He just doesn't have like an electric trait to me, which I think is always going to kind of limit you, especially in the NFL. But I think he does enough good things and is like a very clearly a smart player. Like when you uh, watched what he was doing at Alabama, they had him running a lot of the under like underneath over the middle type stuff where he's having to move and weave through bodies. And I think he did a really good job at that. Um, So I think he can do that in the NFL. It's just like I said, I'm a little bit worried about whatever his, you know, explosive high end potential is, but if you find a number three receiver where they got him, like a good, reliable one, I think you're pretty happy with, with, with that. Yeah, and it looks like, I think, if I remember correctly, Cooks is signed through the 2023 season, so the hope would be that he gets at least some sort of like veteran presence to kind of bring him through his quote-unquote rookie season, like with the injury for this year. So I think it's possible that the duo of, let's say, Mechie and Collins, like for, let's say, the long-term outlook for the Texans, let's see what else they tr- try and bring into that wide receiver room because – they got what two extra picks for next year's draft with the Watson trade, if I'm remembering correctly. So it's possible that they continue to replenish that wide receiver room, boost the offensive line, and things could be at least a little bit more positive, like for the Texans offense in 2023. Looks like another good class next year, too. Another good receiver class, which seems to be just uh, like a it broken record is. every year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every year yeah. Seems about, uh, one final Texan, Brevin Jordan. Uh, I know he's going under the radar as well, but you know, uh, Jordan Akins is gone and. Jordan showed some flashes last year. He had like three touchdowns at a six game span. Uh, I really like him coming out of Miami. I thought he was a pass catching guy. Uh, I'm real bullish on his potential to crack into that tight end 12 territory. Uh, am I crazy Derek? Hmm. I, I maybe because of where Davis Mills really likes to target. It's possible. Um, I just kind of want to see more from Brevin Jordan just because I think one tight end generally takes a long time for guys to like really ramp up to where, you know, to wherever they're going to be. And then also like, he's just kind of a, you know, a little bit on the shorter end for a tight end. And I think that can be a problem when you're like talking about whatever a guy's ceiling is. Um, But I do think he was like a pretty good surprise. I mean, they picked him in what, like the fifth, sixth round or something like that for a fifth, sixth rookie tight end. Like that is pretty good. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you're just hoping that he can be a little bit more than that. I would still maybe stay away, but honestly, if you're at the very end of the, at the end of your draft and you're just like kind of panicking, swinging on the tight end, I mean, it's not the worst thing you can do. All right. Uh, so let's see, we got one more left or two more left. We're on to Tennessee. Let's let's head on down to head on over to Tennessee. Uh, so my first question, like right off the top, let's look at the quarterback position. And so they bring in Malik Willis and, with all the hype around Willis possibly going in the first round, doesn't happen. It's fine. He goes to Tennessee. I guess my, my biggest question is more, I don't know, like a holistic view of the Titans offense at this point. Because if you look at the way that they've managed their team from a franchise perspective, like they didn't go out and acquire all these, you know, super expensive like free agents this year after holding on to the number one seed in the AFC like last season. It seemed like they were just more accepting of where they are as a team. And so it looks like they're ready to play out Tannehill's contract. They're ready to play out Derrick Henry's contract and then essentially start over. But does that mean they're going to start over with Malik Willis? 
do you think that that's their plan? Because like stylistically, like, do you think that they're the two quarterbacks like Tannehill and Willis? Are they comparable enough that what like the system that they currently have in place? Like, is it like, can they just continue on with what they've been doing so far with Malik Willis, like under center? Or do you think things would have to drastically change to fit what Malik Willis does best? I think you would have a hard time finding two more different quarterbacks than Ryan Tannehill and Malik Willis, um, which I actually think isn't necessarily a bad thing because if you're going to fast track, like if Malik Willis can develop well, um, if if they want to fast track it, the best way to do it is to just throw all the stuff that he didn't do in college, just throw it at him, give him a year to sit on the bench where there's obviously no pressure of him playing. Ryan Tannehill is very clearly going to be the starter. I think that could work out um, in the long term, like if this is going to work out for Willis. Um, I said a lot of times during the process, I was not very high on Willis. Um, but also that was with the framing of, like you said, people thinking he was going to go first round. If he goes third round. That's a fine gamble, even if I wasn't like the biggest fan. Um, but I am really interested to see what that might do to the offense. Um, if he even has to play this year, like if, if Tannehill gets hurt for, you know, whatever amount of time, I'm very curious to see what they do on offense to um, – to accommodate him because I really don't think what they do right now makes any sort of sense for what he did in college. Like in college, they were basically like a 10 personnel only offense. Everything was spread. Um, super, super, super simple stuff. A lot of RPOs. You That's like literally the photo negative of the Titans offense. So right. I think for specifically this year, it'd be pretty bad if he had to play, but I think getting those reps probably good for his development. If he can take to it well. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where I'm at because if I'm thinking about, the way that the Titans offense has been historically, let's say like pre like AJ Brown trade, like just look at what AJ Brown was capable of doing. Like uh, just from, I mean, the guy's an absolute freak. I mean, just top 12 in terms of yards per route run against man coverage yards after the catch, like so on and so forth. And he can run essentially like the, the full route tree. And so if you have a wide receiver, that's capable of creating explosives, you have a running back in Derrick Henry, who I've said on this podcast, looks like he comes from Wakanda. Like it's just, you have the ability to create explosives, both from a pass catching standpoint and a running back standpoint. But now Derrick Henry's getting older. AJ Brown is no longer there. You, you bring in Traylon Burks, who I think could be good. Not, not AJ Brown. Good. So it's and just not easy. this year with the, way the training camp stuff sounds. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm pretty sure we're about like two weeks away from Vrabel, like literally like smoking a cigarette in front of Traylon Burks and just blowing smoke in his face because he's fed up with him. Like, <laughs> I am a hundred percent like on board with that happening at some point. I'm sure it's he, probably already happened. He is the number two drafted Titan right now in fantasy drafts. Just say so it costs you a little late eighth. Oh, I have no doubt that Vrabel's probably like blown smoke in his face because after like after the Julio fiasco from last year, I'm pretty sure Vrabel's like he's not he's not in on this whole like conditioning and being winded asthma stuff. Like he's just not with it. But, Are people drafting Burks over Woods or yes. is yes what yes yeah. that's yeah. absurd to me. I, uh, like an entire round, an entire round earlier even, than Bur- than Woods even before all this training camp stuff with Burks. I think that's absurd. Like Woods is a really, really good player, right? I know he's coming yeah. off injury, but like he's a really, really good player. We and know so, he's a good player. Burks might be a really good player. Yeah, no, Robert Woods is. A really and good I was going to ask you about that. Is like, is it not just the the pass catching acumen that Woods has? Because we know he's a, like he knows a damn good like wide receiver, but it's just it's also the utility that he brings to the offense too. I mean, this is probably going to be what offensive line shaky. So if Woods also provides like some sort of utility as a run blocker as well, like that's, that's where I'm seeing like Woods, like really being not just from a fantasy standpoint, but from a real NFL standpoint, like that's where, that's where he brings most of his utility to the offense. Right. I a hundred percent agree. Like I, 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 it's that I, I honestly cannot believe that he's going a, a full round behind Trey Lumbers. I don't even know what else to say. Like that just seems outrageous. People like rookies, man. I, I you guess, like yeah. The, <laughs> they it goes. Love the mystery box, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I, well, I think a lot of, and I think this is probably like poor, like poor, not poor analysis, but I think it was just like a bad comparison because after the AJ Brown trade, and then Traylon Burst getting drafted, you look at the two from a size perspective. Okay, fine. They they are similar in size, but just the way that those two play the wide receiver position. I, Derek, I'll ask you, like. Is there any comparison? Are there any similarities between the AJ Brown and Traylon Burks? 
because I'm not, not to say that I don't see it. I can squint and see it like from a long-term standpoint, but from rookie year, Traylon Burks, that he's not going to be AJ Brown. Am I, am I, am I wrong in saying that? With the ball in their hands, I think they're pretty comparable. Without okay. the ball in their hands, AJ Brown is infinitely better. Even coming out of college, I think. Yeah. Year, like yes. AJ Brown was a real deal wide receiver yeah. um, at Ole Miss. Like they had him doing some real stuff. You watch Burks at Arkansas. It's fun. I don't know if it looks like an NFL receiver yet. Um, so I think, and I think especially, you know, when you, I think that's actually what makes like the whole Burks, um, you know, whatever's going on with like his asthma or whatever, even more concerning is because like mm -hmm. if there was any receiver in this class that like really, really, really needed to get as many reps as possible early. It was him. And so the fact that he's not getting them, I think is like a big problem. Right. And I think that the way that, well, the way that Tannehill plays, because we've seen that even before he got to Tennessee, it's like he had all the timing stuff down with like Jarvis Landry, Jarvis Landry, like back in their heyday, like in Miami. And we saw the same thing like develop throughout AJ Brown's like first season. Cause didn't he play what 11 games, 12 games, like his first, he started like 11 or 12 games or something like that. His first, when he his first got season. To, yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's like, well, we saw that like gradual progression, but throughout his rookie season and that, we needed the same thing or we need to see the same thing for Traylon Burks. And with this conditioning thing, I just don't know if that's going to happen. I've, I've heard positive reports like so far, but it's just like you just said for anybody, for any rookie out of this class that needed to hit the ground running and to get as many reps as possible with their quarterback, it needed to be him. And with him already being essentially behind the eight ball at this point in his development and getting on, like getting on time, like with Tannehill, it's just, man, like I, I, I was I was always I was always concerned about the AJ Brown comparisons, but then now also with this compounded with everything, it's just it makes it harder and harder for me to at least see how he becomes successful at least in 2022. Maybe like 2023 and beyond, absolutely. But that's when we're talking about a completely different Titans offense at that point. If if the way that they're at least posturing how that offense is going to evolve over the next couple of years. Yeah, exactly. I, I think the whole the offensive evolution thing is, is fascinating because, like, I think honestly, if they move on from Tannehill this year, I don't know what that means for Derrick Henry. Uh, because, like, I don't think you can have Henry and Willis in the same backfield. It's like it's like when Teddy Bridgewater got to Minnesota. Teddy Bridgewater is a really, really good gun quarterback. I think he got better at under center, like as he aged and, and got through the league and stuff. You know, he's been here for like nine years or whatever. But mm -hmm. when he first came into the league, he was really, really comfortable doing drop back gun. The one thing Adrian Peterson did not want to do was run out of gun. Right. <laughs> so they had this really like discombobulated offense. I think that I think something similar would happen if Malik Willis had to play. Yeah, hundred percent agree. So I think stylistically, that entire offense like has to would have to go undergo some sort of shift, which I think the Titans are like from a personnel standpoint, they're preparing for that. But it's just, are they willing to give Willis like, are they willing to like let Willis be the guy after they make that change? And at this point, I don't know. The third round, the third round draft pick makes it makes sense to some degree, where it's like, all right, we took a chance on him. We'll see what happens. And but again, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just like you said, I, I'm really interested to see like how it plays out, not just throughout this year, because it's like, could they throw them in like towards the back end of this season? Let's say if they start to fall out of favor in the AFC South, possible. But how's that going to look at that point? I don't know. I, I hope they don't, but <laughs> I hope they don't either. Yeah. Let's let, I'm just I'm just going to point out, you know, according to over the cap. If the Titans cut Ryan Tannehill before next season starts, they save twenty seven million dollars off the cap. I'm just saying. Sounds like they're probably going to do it. <laughs> it sounds like that might actually be it. Yeah. I mean, the only other question I think we've got about the offense, at least from a fantasy standpoint, is that folks have been looking towards like Austin Hooper uh, for the for tight end. I mean, he's a late round option in a lot of leagues. I've been trying to pick him up on underdog when I draft, when I do like three tight end builds. But maybe I'm just like burnt out on trying to hope that Johnny Smith would become a thing when he was still there in Tennessee. Can we expect any sort of, I guess, looks towards like the tight end position, like in this offense? Probably not enough to like get excited about. Um, the only argument that you could make is that like if Burks is, you know, not going to play well or play early, kind of like we're just saying, like he might struggle to do that. Then you can maybe just shoehorn in Hooper because like somebody has to get the targets, right? Like Woods can't eat 100% of them. And I don't really like anybody else they have after that. Like Nick Westbrook Akinda was like, 
kind of interesting as like a fifth receiver who had to play. But other than that, it's not like legitimate. Kyle Phillips is another rookie. Like that's pretty iffy as well. So I think the argument is just like if things keep looking bad for Burks, maybe you can throw something at Hooper. If things start to trend back upward for Burks, I probably just wouldn't care about Hooper at all. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, on the plus side, I guess Hooper should see some snaps because he can like kind of rotate in as a blocker at some times. But otherwise, it's just, yeah, I mean, you're, I guess, drafting Hooper is almost a bet against Burks to some degree. I mean, but I guess, again, we'll just have to see how it plays out like over throughout training camp. Yeah, that lack of volume in that offense is just really tough to really tough to bank on more than one guy. And I'm kind of I've kind of got my flag on Woods as well. That's kind of where I'm at. Uh, let's let's finish up with the Colts. Let's move on. Uh, top of the show, we talked about uh, liking Matt Ryan. Uh, are you concerned at all from a fantasy perspective? Are you concerned that he'll be more of a game manager with the Colts than what he's been in the past, based on the way that team is built? Uh, maybe, uh, just because like, and it really, to me, doesn't actually have anything to do with Ryan. It's just that when you have the best back in football and a pretty good offensive line, you probably should base your offense ar- around that. Fair um, enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I still think like Matt Ryan is going to be like extremely efficient. Um, and I do think that like, if they're going to get into the red zone enough, I, I think like he's just going to have enough chances to, to score touchdowns. So I think Matt Ryan is still going to be a pretty good play from a fantasy perspective, even if it's not like a super, super pass heavy offense. Um, I will say, I mean, they're definitely going to cut down on the RPOs, but I think everything else they're going to do in the passing game is just going to be so much better. And I think Matt Ryan is going to make basically every receiver on that roster better. So I don't know. The, the volume, I think, is definitely the trickiest part for me to sort out. But the efficiency and like how good it's going to look, I feel very, very confident that Matt Ryan is going to be good at, by himself and good for all the other options in the offense. I'm kind of with you. I, I love I love Frank Reich, too. I share your yeah. uh, your appreciation for Frank Reich, uh, not only as a coach, but also as one of the best backup quarterbacks of all time. So <laughs> yeah. uh, gr- growing up in the 90s, watching him back up Jim Kelly. Um, I We taught Taylor. I, I don't know what we could say about Taylor, except he's kind of the consensus 1.01, unless maybe you're in a super flex and then maybe 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 he's still it. Maybe not. But uh, do you think that Naheem Hines becomes valuable again with Matt Ryan coming over? Ryan has effectively used the running backs in the past. Uh, in the passing game, Naheem Hines is kind of on an every other year thing. He had like 60 catches, 40, 60, 40 kind of thing. Uh, do you think he's going to be back to fantasy relevance with Ryan? Oh, yeah, because we've seen from, let's see, Chris Ballard was talking, was hyping up like Naheem Hines. Uh, who else? I think Frank Reich actually came out and said, if I was playing fantasy, like I'd draft Naheem Hines. And I think it makes sense because like you mentioned beforehand, it's been like Devonta Freeman uh, in the past, like with Matt Ryan. Uh, and they've had a number of other like pass catching options, like from out of the backfield, be productive from a fantasy standpoint. So I'm a hundred percent with you that I think that Heinz would be the guy that you would want to have. Like if you were to take like any of them at, at this point, uh, outside of Jonathan Taylor, obviously, but with where Heinz goes in drafts, I mean, he's probably one of the better bets like to actually have, let's say like standalone value because we've seen him pop up for like multiple touchdowns or something like that, like at some points, like throughout the season. So if there's, uh, if I can't get my hands on Jonathan Taylor and that's just because of my draft slot, then I will, uh, then I will definitely like aim for uh, Naheem Hines at some point, like through the back end. And for the best ball folks, I mean, if you want to try and uh, if you're drafting, let's say like Saquon Barkley, and you're looking at uh, trying to do like the week 17 correlations, like for the best ball tournaments, draft Saquon Barkley you, and uh, the Giants, like they play the Colts in week 17. You can get Naheem Hines in what, like the 12th, 13th, 14th round, like somewhere in there. So yeah, He's there's dirt yeah, yeah, dirt cheap. So there's the correlation you can pick up as on top of the, I guess, the fantasy spike weeks that we should get from a guy like Hines. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm excited about Hines from a pass catching perspective. I uh, was wondering, Derek, uh, the touchdowns, you know, he had like seven two years ago and then three last year uh, with Ryan there. Do you think there's a uh, likelihood he gets back to seven touchdowns or do you think three is kind of who he is? I think it's possible um, for a couple reasons. Like one, I just think that like Ryan is going to be able to get him the ball better than um, Carson Wentz did. I mean, that granted, there's a lot of quarterbacks who could do that. Um, but I also just think because actually the tight end situation is a little, you know, I think losing Jack Doyle actually means a lot for that offense. Um, I think Jack Doyle was a really, really, really good blocker and like short area threat. 
And I think not having him actually might start to push them to more um, two-back stuff, which I think would be really interesting because honestly, the thing that Reich does the best, um, I think in the entire NFL is just mess with defenses formationally and personnel wise. Mm -hmm. And I think Hines is like the perfect guy for that because you can play him anywhere. And if they want to do two, you know, you can put him at receiver if you want to, or you can do more like split back stuff um, from gun, which I think Matt Ryan can be really comfortable with. So I think Hines is going to be on the field a lot as a pass catcher. um, And that's going to be where his value is. So I don't know how much he's, you know, if he's going to be any better as a runner or anything like that, or get any more opportunities in the red zone. Um, You know, because like I said, when you have Taylor, why would you? (laughs) But as a pass catcher, I think, I think he's really, really good. Um, Truthfully, I think in terms of just like running backs that you can split out to play receiver, he's probably the best in the league, um, in my opinion, at, at doing that. Well, yeah, I think Hines had uh, one of like behind the, Alvin Kamara, behind Alvin oh, yeah. Kamara and Christian McCaffrey whenever he's healthy. Behind those two, I think he's the best at it. He had one of the the highest uh, de- uh, average depth of targets like for running backs like last season, and they were he was like goal balls to him. <laughs> yes, like and he was like legitimately good because he had a fairly high like yards per route run like on those targets as well. So it's like it's him, it's like a it's him Kamara, like Aaron Jones as well. I think those are the types of guys that if you want to run like a two back set, I think like. Heinz definitely falls into that archetype of running back that can do that. Seems like a cool dude too. Just seems like a nice guy. Like I, I always root for Naeem Heinz. What about those other pass rush, uh, pass catchers that we've got in Indianapolis? Uh, namely Michael Pittman coming off, uh, I, I guess a breakout season. He, uh, eclipsed a thousand yards for the first time in, in his young career. Uh, and then the rookie Alec Pierce comes over from Cincinnati. Uh, do you think this offense could sustain two of them and how bullish are you on Pittman? The, the reason I would be bullish on Pittman is not necessarily because I think he's fantastic. It's just that I think because he's, at least by my estimation, this like one to 15 yard, really good like possession type receiver. Matt Ryan's about as timely and accurate as you're going to get, which is like the perfect quarterback for that kind of player. So I think the pairing of those two actually just makes so much sense that like Pittman could see a boost. If I remember correctly, he caught like a ton of touchdowns last year, which like, that might be random, and I don't know if that's... I think he had six. Oh, I'll, I might, I'll I might, have, been, I I might have been confusing him with somebody yeah. else then. Um, but if he only had six, then I mean, he could probably catch more in this with Matt oh, Ryan. Yeah. So um, I think Pittman's pretty good. As for the other guys, I liked Alec Pierce coming out of college. It's just I'm always a little bit weary of uh, rookie receivers who aren't like very clearly uh, you know, like a Devonta Smith, like where it's just like I don't have to think about how good this guy's going to be. Um, so we'll see with him, but I did like him in college. I think he's a really, he's a good downfield threat and he's a good uh, jump ball guy. Um, so I think if, you know, what Frank Reich actually did a lot with uh, Carson Wentz was they ran a lot of those like slot fades. Uh, Pierce is really good at that. They did that at Cincinnati. And I think he could be really, really good at that in this offense, um, especially if they go empty and like they put, you know, Hines out next to him out wide. He just runs like a hitch. Pierce runs up the sideline. That sort of stuff. I would not be surprised if we see from them. So uh, I think it's possible they could, um, you know, have two receivers who are, are are effective, but I think for sure it would just be Pittman for me. And then I think I would have a hard time picking who the other guy would be, um, unless you want to go to tight end with Mo Ali Cox. I think that would actually probably be the more interesting option to me. Everybody's been everybody's been like waiting for the breakout, like for yeah, Molly for Cox. Like, like for, yeah, it's been like three years or something. It's like why that. everyone hates Jack Doyle, even though Jack Doyle is a good player. <laughs> yeah, he's a good player. And, uh, yeah, I know, but from a fantasy boring. standpoint, everybody <laughs> wants the guy that's going about going out there like running a bunch of routes and like. Mm-hmm. But Jack Doyle was doing that at least for a decent. I mean, for for a tight end, like he was good. Um, but no, I was uh about Alec Pierce. He actually went to my alma mater, uh, Cincinnati, and um, I was listening to. Ben Solak on the Ringer podcast, and he was saying that one of the comps that he had for him since he, I don't know, he has like some connection to Frank Reich. I have no idea why, but uh, the he was saying that he's more like um, late stage uh, Alshon Jeffrey, like in that, like how he plays and like the type he's of faster like, though. Alec Pierce faster, has speed, yeah, yeah, but just like the the contested catch, like contested catch ability, ability to move the chains, like that could be like Pierce's role, like within this offense, and I can see that. And especially the way that Matt Ryan is playing now, like where he's getting to the back end of his career, a guy like that would be fine. I think it's a good pairing like for him, like between the two. But if you have a, also have an established like one with Michael Pittman, I think all of that kind of comes together in terms of a, a functioning offense. One that's actually, I would say, less volatile with Matt Ryan under center versus the, you know, the complete train wreck that they had with Carson Wentz like last season. 
<laughs> I a hundred percent agree. Like, I, I think that's actually, I think the passing offense is going to have a really, really high floor. It's just, you wonder what the ceiling is going to be. Um, one, because the volume, like I, I think they're just going to run the ball a lot, but then also too, like, I just don't know who the downfield threats are. Like, I think Pierce is fairly fast and is like a good contested catch guy, but it's not, it's not like they have Deshaun Jackson or, or something like that. Right, that's definitely right. not the case. Um, so I'm very interested to see what the offense looks like from that perspective. But I do think it's like a very full and complete passing offense. You just wish there was a little bit more speed, I guess. Yeah, like if they had, if they're able to pull off having... Uh, Is Will like Fuller if, still out there? Exactly. <laughs> like, like if they had somebody like that to give it some more punch, or even like, I guess if T.Y. Hilton was maybe like a couple years younger, then maybe I could see something like that working out. But I think that's just the, the missing piece to that offense at this point. Uh, so we mentioned Bill Ellie Cox real quick. Oh, by the way, the, the Alec Pierce, uh, there's a, t- a litany of reports of teams going to Cincinnati to scout Desmond Ritter and coming home saying we have to draft Alec Pierce. Like there's just a ton of, ton of, uh, reports about that, which are always fun. And also, uh, very common for off season reporting. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, we talked quickly, Bo Ali Cox. I, Chris, I'm out. I, I just, I, I don't think the breakout's going to come. I think they're going to keep using other guys. Jelani Woods Fine. is there. Kyle Granson was there. I, I'm out. I'm just going to say it. I'm out. <laughs> he's the, he's been like my dart throw. If I do like three tight ends and it's like Dawson Knox and then maybe like if I do Dawson Knox, then Noah Fant and I want to add a third, then I do Mo Ali Cox where it's like, I've got like one and a half tight ends. Cause I have no idea what the Seattle offense is going to look like this year. But like, <laughs> you know, if I, if I tack on like Mo Ali Cox and I've probably got two, then yeah. let, you know, and if I'm also drafting and essentially at that point, I'm taking Mo Ali Cox for that week 17 correlation against the giants giants defense is like, we don't even care at this point. So is it possible that Mo Ali Cox could get a touchdown against the giants in week 17? That's all I'm asking for at this point. Very but possible. I, but I think very, possible. very possible. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's all I've got for the FC South. Derek, do you have any final thoughts or anything you want to plug before we go? Um, you guys can buy the Football Outsiders Almanac. It, it just went live like a early, I think a week ago, about a week ago. I think it was mm-hmm. last Monday, actually. It went still 20% uh, fully off live on the physical. I don't remember. I, I, <laughs> that's above my pay grade to remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you can get it online or or physical. So. Check all that stuff out. Definitely read everything you see from Derek on football, uh, football guys. And um, don't forget to follow him on Twitter uh, at QB class class with a K. Uh, Chris, always a pleasure. Derek, thank you so much for joining us. Listeners. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Chris Allen, FFWX and at two guys. Brandon, thanks for checking us out. Have a good day.